Bibles and go to Psalm 71. Psalm 71. I made mention last week that I was praying and considering a, just a bit of a different direction, not that we're leaving the confession study. We are going to come back to that. Uh, but I'm looking at this study of Psalm 71 as a means of preparing us for that study. Uh, as we'll deal with chapter 18 regarding of assurance of grace and faith. And Psalm 71, like so many of the Psalms, is a Psalm that presents before us a Psalm that expresses uh, a great need. It expresses a great uh, distress that is being spoken by the writer. Uh, But Psalm 71 is also a Psalm that has been referred to as a Psalm of hope. Uh, a, a hope is a hope that is not just a hope with some human expectation, but hope in the Bible is a confidence, it's an assurance, it's a certainty. It is that which makes us say, I know that what has been promised to me through the Word of God will in fact uh, come to pass. Uh, if you'll notice with me the beginning of this psalm, I want to read uh, just the first five verses of this psalm. And then we're going to begin kind of an introduction today to this psalm itself. We're not even going to attempt to cover the entirety of this psalm. Uh, This is going to be a multi-week study of this before we get back into the confession. It says in verse 1 of this psalm, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Deliver me in thy righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline thine ear unto me. And save me. Be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast given me commandment to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. For thou art my hope, O Lord God, thou art my trust from my youth. This morning we want to deal with this concept or this phrase that's there in verse number one. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. There's not going to be much coming up on the screen today, so if you want to take notes, I'll try to be very deliberate about uh, what I'm saying today. But oftentimes we don't think about the Psalms as a place that we go to find doctrine. Uh, Now, I think that's an incorrect thought, but there are many who believe that the Psalms were given to us uh, simply for the devotional nature in which they are written or to be sung um, as the original intent of the Psalms were. As you know, many of the Psalms were sung. They were were hymns in a a way, and they were meant uh, to convey or express the truths of who God is. Uh, It is the reality that theology is woven in every chapter and every psalm. Uh, Every psalm contains a different picture of who God is. So there is the theology. Uh, There's a theology that runs through uh, uh, the 71st psalm. There's a theology that runs through all of the psalms. Uh, There is one really, what really struck me is as I was reading this psalm personally and reading it uh, for my own uh, devotion and my own study, I noticed that this particular psalm, and although we've only read five five verses there, 
that the writer of this psalm is indicating something that he has been able to trust in for all of his life. Uh, it, it makes you think about the seasons. It makes you think about the seasons of life that go through and how quickly time does pass by. And all of us, I think, are aware of that. Uh, it seems to move quicker and quicker. Uh, but yet these seasons, uh, the seasons change, but God doesn't change. And there is, throughout this entire psalm, there is this expression of hope. Throughout the entire psalm, the writer of this psalm in particular mentions the word hope. In verse 5, he mentions my hope. Uh, He mentions in verse 14, but I will hope continually and will yet praise. So we see there's a connection between hope and praise, but there's also a connection between hope and an understanding of who God is. Therein lies theology. Uh, My theology uh, should be able to be put to practicality. I should be able to understand my theology because I understand who God is, then I understand that God demonstrates who he is in every expression that I put towards him. If I tell God, you are my hope, I am expressing theology. I'm not just expressing an idea or a philosophy. I'm expressing theology. Theology that says God is in whom I can place very real hope. And so the writer here has this in mind. So there is this idea of seasons of hope, or as I indicated even in my notes, I put a song of seasons of age. A song of seasons of age. As we'll read through this psalm over the coming weeks, you'll notice the writer moves from past seasons to present seasons to future seasons. And in all three seasons, he says, my hope is the same. My hope is in God in all three of those seasons. My past, my present, my future. They're seasons of hope. They're songs regarding the seasons of age. Now what's interesting is his age actually does matter. He makes mention of being a youth. He makes mention of being in old age. He makes mention in a roundabout sort of way of being in that middle age between young and old. So this is being written by an aged man, a man who has experienced his hope and trust in God from his youth. Uh, We didn't read it, but verse 6, he says, By thee have I been holden up from the womb. Even before I was born, at the moment I was born, I know you, God, it was you that was holding me up. That is very real hope. So in this psalm, we're reminded a couple of things about God. But first, and I think the overriding theme, is that God has demonstrated his faithfulness in the past. He demonstrates his faithfulness in the present. And he will continue to demonstrate his faithfulness in the future. So that's really the overriding theme of this psalm. Now, there are a couple things we're going to make note about this psalm. Now, because we're doing a study, and this is not so much a sermon as it is more of a really a deep study into this psalm, there's one thing that stands out before you even read the first verse of this psalm. It's a psalm that lacks a title. Almost every other psalm in Scripture, and I only know of one other one that doesn't have a title, is Psalm 43. So there's no title on this. 
Now, that might seem insignificant, and I'm going to just kind of put that out as a teaser just to see where we're going with that. But there is no title. Almost every one of those other psalms has a title line, with the exception of this psalm and Psalm 43. Now, if we go back and we look at Psalm 43, let's just do that briefly this morning. And I want you to notice that it also does not have a title. But I want you to notice the writer of Psalm 43 speaks of where his hope is also. And for our context, let's read this psalm. It's very brief. It's five verses. He says, Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I rejoice. Now, upon the harp will I praise thee, O my God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Psalm 42 which is immediately precedes Psalm 43, bet you didn't know that, right? Psalm 42 is before Psalm 43, is all about hope in God. And if you look at those two Psalms, Psalm 43 doesn't have a title, but it's almost as if the writer of Psalm 42 continues his thoughts into Psalm 43. Hence is one of the reasons why there may not be a title there is because it's a continuation of what has already been said. In the same context, now Psalm 42, Psalm 43 are about hope. Okay, both. Hope is not a philosophy. Hope is a theology. Okay? Hope is actually theology when it's based upon theology that teaches us about God. So Psalm 71 is simply a theology of hope. The theology is the concept. The doctrine is hope. Hope that is confident. Hope that is certain. Hope that is sure. It is having a confidence so strong and so complete in God that I can trust him in the past, in the present, and in the future because God will be faithful in all of those seasons. He has never once ceased to be faithful. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 71 is able to say, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Now go back to Psalm 71 and look immediately before that in Psalm 70. And see if we see a similarity between what happened in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, the same thing happening in Psalm 70 and Psalm 71. Psalm 71, like we've said, does not have a title line. Uh, most commentators, many believe that it belonged attached to Psalm 70. In other words, after he says all those things in Psalm 70, Verse 1 begins the concluding thoughts of the background or the foundation that Psalm 70 set. Now, it's been a few weeks ago, but I preached on Psalm 70 during our morning service, and I preached a message entitled, Let God Be Magnified. And in that principle, okay, I made mention in verse 4 of Psalm 70, it says, Let God be magnified, but I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God, thou art my help and my deliverer. Oh, make no tarrying. Now notice how easily Psalm 70 transitions to Psalm 71. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. I put my trust because of these things, 
You are magnified. You let me let those that love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. Why I have hope today is because of the salvation that I have in God. I don't have hope in a nebulous idea. I don't have hope in a man's tradition or a man's philosophy. I have hope in God. And that's what's at the heart here. Let God be magnified. What the psalmist was saying in Psalm 70, notice it has a title. To the chief musician, a psalm of David to bring to remembrance. Psalm 71 has no title. So we're left with one question. First question is, is David the author of Psalm 71? Because it doesn't ascribe it to him. Does that mean anything? Does it matter that this is David? Or does it matter that this is David? Well, it may or it may not. But the truth is, is that we do see the same kind of thoughts being carried on from Psalm 70 and Psalm 71, that the psalm writer in Psalm 70, which is David, comes to the conclusion to ascribe to God magnification. Let God be magnified. Give God his due as a king. Now, this is King David magnifying God himself a king, saying, let God be magnified, even above himself. Now, certainly there are elements in Psalm 71 that continue the theme in Psalm 70. However, there are also similar concepts and similar phrases that David uses uh, throughout this psalm that actually are ascribed to David. Uh, We see in verse 3 of Psalm 71, David makes mention, for thou art my rock and my fortress. David makes that exact statement throughout a number of psalms. This is, a, this is an expression that is typical David. Okay, You see him make this statement, thou art a rock, my rock and my fortress. That's verse 3. In this same Psalm 71 in verse 10, there's a reference being made to for mine enemies. David speaks often in the psalms about enemies who are coming near unto him. Uh, in uh, ver- uh, verse number uh, uh, 12, the psalmist in Psalm 71 says, Be not far from me, O God. David a number of times expresses a desire for God to remain close to him, to remain near to him, not to leave him, not to desert him. And then in verse 12 of Psalm 71, O God, be not far from me, O my God, make haste for my help. Come, he's saying, don't, don't leave me, don't forsake me, remain with me. Now, those first three verses of Psalm 71, here's one of the, the other evidences that we believe that this is still a psalm written by David, is found back in Psalm 31. And you'll notice the very first verse and the first three verses are taken or Psalm 71 takes directly from Psalm 31. And this is titled, To the Chief Musician, A Psalm of David. Here's what Psalm 31 says. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for a house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress, therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. So in Psalm 31, which is ascribed in the title line to David, it says, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. 
it matches the very opening phrase of Psalm 71, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Do you notice how in Scripture, when we're ascribing things to the Apostle Paul, we often make the statement that this sounds like Paul's writing? We do that a lot, where we're not sure if Paul actually said it, but his letters sound the same. He uses similar terminology. He uses, sim- he uses similar expressions. David is the same way. So throughout the psalm, sometimes when we can't identify or the scripture doesn't identify in the title who the author is, we can look at other expressions and ascribe them and say, this certainly sounds like David. This sounds like something David would say. So we're going we're gonna to base Psalm 71 on the, real, or on the supposition that this is David who is speaking this. Now you say, why is that so important? Well, because Psalm 72, again, I told you, we're kind of doing a deep dive into things. Psalm 72, what does the title line say that that is a psalm of? Psalm of Solomon. So clearly, Psalm 71 jumps into Psalm 72 that says now it's a psalm for Solomon. Okay? Not a psalm of Solomon, but a psalm for Solomon. So it doesn't necessarily say it was written by David, yet we're going to come to the same conclusion that David is most likely the writer of Psalm 72, writing a psalm for his son. Okay? You might say, that's more than I ever wanted to know about a psalm. Well, that's good. Now you know it. It's important. It's important to understand what's happening in this. So it is appropriate that a psalm of David, taking all this into account, it's important to understand that it is appropriate and makes sense that David is writing this psalm in old age. This is David as an older man. If you'll drop all the way down to, um, uh, even even in verse 18, he begins to, this is where he's talking about, uh, as he's moving on, he says, Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to every one that cometh, uh, or everyone that is to come. David is, is showing these seasons of life. The first six verses, he talks about my youth. He talks about uh, from the womb. He talks about his, his middle age. And he's, as he's gaining age, he's realizing that God is even more assurity. God is even more his assurance. God is even more his confidence. And I would say to you this morning, and this is not to identify the young and the old, the middle age, but I would tell you this, this principle is all throughout Scripture, that the older we live and the more seasons we go through, the stronger and surer your faith should be. The more you've seen God, the more you should trust God. And there is a principle about the aged men and the aged women, even in a church, being able to teach younger men and younger women. It's a responsibility that those who know God should move and advance in their understanding that God has always been faithful. Do you realize the difference between an aged person who maybe is well up in years, who's maybe, let's just just use a random number, they're pressing 100 years old. Can you imagine a 100-year-old saying, I tell you, God's always been faithful to me. Can you imagine the testimony that that is? Now, it's good that a 10-year-old says God's faithful, but what about those 90-plus years that a 100-year-old person now says, God has been faithful from my very youth? Folks, it has, it has weight behind it. There's, there's power in claiming that God is faithful. In all seasons of life, God is faithful. 
Now, David, as he writes about these seasons, he seems to write as a person who was well known by many people. He says in verse 7 of Psalm 71, I am as a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. This is a reference to being known. Uh, David was not a stranger. People knew who he was. He was King David. They knew about him. And part of that was is that he was known for who he was. Down in verse 21 of Psalm 71, Thou shalt increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. David is talking about his, the throne of David. He's talking about his, his uh, office as king. And he's, he, he's ascribing that this is what God has been. So we're going to ascribe this psalm to David. So over the next few weeks, we're going to consider the psalm in these three parts. All right, The past season of hope, which is going to cover verses 1 through 7. The present season of hope, which is going to cover verses 8 through 17. And then the third will be the future season of hope, which is verses 18 through 24. So all of these things lead us to ask ourselves the question, if David is in fact, and we're going to make that supposition that he is, this is also a song or a psalm that is a song of old age. It's a song of a person who is moving through life and is moving closer and closer to the day that they will actually see their Savior face to face. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to say something, and I'm going to say this very carefully. One of the things that has broken my heart the most, one of the, I've seen a lot of things in the short time I've been uh, a pastor, but one of the things that breaks my heart the most is societies and, sadly, the churches discarding of senior saints. And the moving thinking that the wisdom of those aged individuals isn't relevant for today's modern society. And we're making a grave error when we do that. Now, being old doesn't mean that you're biblically wise. Being 100 years old doesn't mean that you're biblically and scripturally strong. But the aged who have been in Christ and the aged who have spent years knowing and following him certainly have much to offer to the church today. And David, if we were to treat David as if, as if how the church has treated some of its senior saints today, would cast off David and say, David, you're just an older man who doesn't have anything to contribute to the life and the vibrancy of our ministry. What a horrible mistake. We see accounts throughout Scripture where counsel was cast off from the older wise men for the younger counsel that led in complete disaster because man took younger counsel because they thought, this is more relevant. I'm not 100% sure why God led me to Psalm 71. I'm truly not. I, I don't fully understand everything God's doing with this, but I do see these principles that are coming out. And the more I've, I've read through this psalm, uh, just on my own, over the last week, I've read it through five times. And all five times as I read it, I keep seeing something else. I keep seeing something more about what David is expressing. And he's expressing things that are not just about David's life, but he's expressing things that are about life in general. 
So this is a song of age, and it's put before us to not only those who are old, but those who will be old. Now, none of us have a guarantee of growing old in this life. But for the majority of us, we will grow old by the world standards. I remember sitting much like the three of you guys, right? I remember sitting at their age, sitting in churches and sitting in and thinking, wow, that's so far down the road. I don't even think about growing old. I don't consider myself old now, but I think about growing older now more than I ever have. I think more about what was, and I think about what is, and I think about what's coming. And I look back and I say, everything has changed since I was a child, but God has never changed. The same God who I was hearing about as a small child is the same God I preach and talk about today, and he'll be the same God tomorrow. Even though I'm going to change, God's not going to change. He's going to stay faithful. Now, when I said, when I heard my pastor say all those years ago, God is faithful, as a 10-year-old or 12-year-old or 18-year-old, I heard God is faithful, but only to my senses of what I understood to that point in my life and said, well, yeah, God's been faithful in my 15 years. But now I've reached the mid-century mark. And now I'm saying, God's not just been faithful for 15 years, God's been faithful for 50. I've never seen him once be unfaithful to me. Not one time. Now that to me is amazing. Because I've watched people come and go. I've watched people who said, we'll always be there. They're nowhere to be found. But God has always stayed there. You realize David had a full-on rebellion, and the greatest rebellion came in his own house when his own son Absalom revolted against him? David could not even turn to his own family to find hope. He had to find his hope in God, or he'd find no place. I was just coming across this, and, if, and, and I didn't use... Um, Spurgeon's resources much. If, if you ever want, if you don't have it, um, I just recently was able to purchase the entire set of the Treasury of David, which is Spurgeon's Expositions of the Psalms. You can get it anywhere online now, but I got a, almost a brand new copy of it. But I haven't, I didn't use most of Spurgeon's through this, and I probably won't, not because it's not good, uh, but I just, this kind of going a different direction with this. But Spurgeon said about this psalm, he says, we have here the prayer of the aged believer who in holy confidence of faith, strengthened by a long and remarkable experience, pleads against his enemies and asks further blessings for himself. There's a couple things that stand out in what Spurgeon said. An aged believer, the prayer of an aged believer, in holy confidence of faith and strengthened. And I love it, by a long and remarkable experience. David's life was a remarkable experience. Now David, of course, in Scripture, typifies Christ, and Christ is often seen in the Psalms. 
words and expressions that David says are expressions that often were said by the Lord himself. This particular psalm is really centered and focused on David's remarkable experience. Not that Christ isn't in it, but this really is one of those psalms that is the testimony of a person who's lived a little while. <laughs> it's amazing how when you get older, older people start to become wiser. People that you thought one day, I can't glean anything from them, now become the people you wish you had access to. The people who you said, I don't need that counsel, I don't need that wisdom, I've got it. Now you've got people you say, I wish I could get their counsel on what they said. So we do see here that there is this great picture of trust. So since we're not going to directly apply this particular psalm directly to Christ, we can make this connection between Psalm 71, David, and Christ himself. David is in a time of affliction. Jesus Christ experienced affliction. David typifies Christ in that matter, no matter what we look at. And in affliction, we realize that in affliction, there was sorrow and there was suffering. David experienced sorrow. David experienced suffering. Our Lord experienced sorrow. Our Lord experienced real suffering. Why? Because he was afflicted. When did that affliction and sorrow occur in this world? Now, folks, those of you who have some years on you, I don't have to tell you this as much as I need to tell our younger people this. There's a guarantee of affliction and sorrow in this world. It's a guarantee. Now, that's not meant to bring you down today. That's not meant to bring a wet blanket. That's just the truth of the journey of a believer in this life. It will not always be perfect. And it will not always be rosy. It will not always be... Look, I don't have any problems. David suffered. He was afflicted. Christ went through this world. He passed through this world. And we are really brought to this psalm to bring up in our minds of what will we rest our hope or who will we rest our hope in. That's one of the main ideas of this psalm. We have proof here that we can have confidence in the same God that David had confidence in. God that David trusted is the same God who is seated in heaven today. God hasn't changed. God isn't different. There isn't a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. It's the same God. At the right hand of the Father is Jesus Christ, who we talk often about intentionally. So we have proof before us that even sorrowful, afflicted people can have confidence in this present season of hope, can have confidence in the past that what has already happened will continue, and in the future, we can still have confidence in this. We have proof that here's David, who's now aged. You know, throughout Scripture, it's interesting, we see David, David at various stages. Go all the way back to the Bible story, even our kids know. David slaying Goliath. David was a young boy then. David was the one who was bold enough to walk to where the other warriors were and was to say, is there not a cause? 
Now, if David didn't have confidence in his God at a very young age, he doesn't go to those military men and say, you know, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, would you guys do something? Are you going to sit here all day and let this giant mock God? And he goes on further and said, this battle is not ours, men. The battle is the Lord's. That's a holy confidence. That's the confidence that I think we as a church and myself as a pastor wants to instill in our young people. Not use some silly story about grabbing a stone and slaying your giants, but having faith in God that says, look, there's a cause. There's something to stand up for. You don't stand for something unless you have confidence that that's right. And we ought to instill in our children from a very young age, you need to hope in God. Psalm 78 is an entire psalm about hope in God as well. Teach your children to hope in God. Don't teach your children to hope in what this world's going to offer them. This world will leave them high and dry if they put their hope and their faith in this world. But if they put their faith and hope in God, God will always be faithful. So the longer David lives, the more his trials increased. Some people never stop long enough to realize that the older David got, his life didn't get easier. It got harder. His afflictions multiplied. One affliction came on top of another affliction on top of another affliction. And at the very heart, the very top of probably what afflicted David more than others, many people would say, what was, God, what was David's greatest affliction? It had to have been Saul. I don't think it was Saul. I think it was Absalom. I think there was nothing that afflicted him more than the rebellion of his own son. Now, we can, I'm not going to be dogmatic about that. We can disagree on that. And we might say, but do you, did you, do you realize what Saul tried to do to David? I mean, he threw javelins at him, tried to pin him to the wall with that. But what was most personal to him was most likely his son. And Absalom, rebelling fully, puts his own father in great danger. Now, many people believe, and most of the commentators agree, that Psalm 71 was penned sometime around the time that Absalom was rebelling against David. Now, if you read it from that perspective, and when, as we get into this psalm, and you read Psalm 71, and you think, was David some of this time talking about Absalom's rebellion? It becomes very personal. It becomes almost hard to bear to think about what David must have been experiencing. It was an afflictive period in his life that Psalm 71 was written. So what is this psalm? This psalm is a prayer to God in his present distress. And in order to handle the present distress, he looks back at God's faithfulness in the past. And he considers God's faithfulness in the future, which is why we have those three seasons. The past, the present, the future. David says, over the span of my life, God has always been faithful. In this prayer, he pleads God's righteousness. He pleads for God's justice. And he pleads for God's promises. David goes down the list by reciting back to God the iniquity or the sin of his persecutors. In other words, he tells God what they've done to him. Not to inform God, because God already knows, but by the prayer. Folks, remember this. Prayer, prayer exhibits how confident you are in God. Okay? 
Your prayer life is the, is the greatest illustration of how confident you are in God. If you're always putting before God if, 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 instead of claiming what God has already said and what God's already promised and living back on the promises that God's already made unto you and his faithfulness to you, David is praying with confidence. He expresses not only the iniquity of his persecutors, but he also tells God about the mercies that have been given to him or granted to him from the time he was born. Over and over, he says, God, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. He expresses not only God's faithfulness in the past, but he expresses his present affliction. He's using words like being deserted. He's using words like being given up on. He's using words by be, of being old and gray-headed. He mentions how his enemies have mocked him, his enemies have taunted him, how his enemies have insulted him. And here's what's wonderful. He foresees and declares that they will ultimately fall. He's declaring by God's promises because of the past and the present what God's going to do in the future. And we'll see that as we study through this. He expresses, because of all of this, he expresses his thankfulness for his faith. He expresses faithful, his, his uh, gratitude for his hope. And he actually asks God at the very end, I love this, we're, we're a long way from that. He asks God specifically, specifically, will you let me live longer so that I can declare your glory even more. Now, again, I'm not trying to step on any toes, but there are people that say, I just can't wait. And it's, it often happens when we get older and start getting older. I'm just looking forward to leaving this earth and getting to glory. I understand. I understand the concept, but do you realize that the longer you live here and the more years God gives you, that if you have the proper healthy attitude towards it, it gives you more years to be able to declare God's glory here to this world. If God lets a person live to be 100 years, you've had 100 years to declare the glory of God. To give God the glory in everything that you're doing. To give God the glory in front of your family. To give God the glory in front of your church and your, your, whatever it is, your friends, your co-workers. David's praying. He doesn't say, you know what, I've had it with all these afflictions. I, I can't wait till God just destroys everything and comes, takes us out of here. No, he says, God, give me more time if it's your will. He understands that in order for him to live longer, God has to grant him that request. He does that because of the, problem, the acts that, that David has already experienced in his life. He understands that David, or David understands that God has already promised him that one day there will be a final redemption and a removal of every affliction, every trouble, and every trial we're going through. I can stand here today and tell you that one day, none of us who are saved, none of us who are believers, are going to experience a single affliction ever again. Not another ache, not another pain, not another sorrow, not another loss of a family member, not another tear is going to be shed because of sorrow. There is a final redemption coming. There is a day and a time, I'm as sure as I'm standing here, where all of those things are going to go away, never to return again. Nothing in this world promises you that. 
David understood that the final redemption from all of his trouble is coming, but it's not yet. David says when he understands these things, he will sing and he will speak of the praises of the Lord. So really, as we read through this psalm over the next few weeks, we're reading what could be the words to a glorious, theologically strong hymn. It's something that if we put this, if we put this, song, if we put this psalm to words, and we, we contacted the people who put this hymn book together and said, put Psalm 71 to music. It would be a very doctrinally, theologically sound him. It would teach us about God. It would teach us who God is. You know why we chose this book? We chose that book not because it's the only one out there, but because I believed it was theologically strong and taught us what true doctrine is. So that not only when we hear the word of God preach and read the word of God, but even when we sing, we're singing about the theology of God. There's some hymn books, it's, you're not singing about theology. You're just singing what you want God to be. David was not saying, deliver me and take my life, but let me live longer. When any saint is in affliction, there is no greater place for you and I to go than to the throne of grace. When you're afflicted, your greatest source of comfort is not your spouse, it's not your kids, it's not your pastor, it's not your church, it's God himself. Now those others play a role in that, I'm not discounting that. But oftentimes we get an affliction and instead of saying, look, where do I go? What do I do? We don't go to the right person. Now, what's the, what's the requirement for us going to God? In order to go to God, we have to renounce all of the confidence we have in ourselves. Do you realize when you approach God in prayer to pray rightly, you need to renounce all of your confidence in self or someone else? Like, we don't go to God saying, God, I'm coming to you in prayer, and I've brought with me my other source of confidence, which is my spouse or my kids or my grandparents or my pastor. You're renouncing your confidence in everything, other, everything else other than God. Now, that sounds harsh, but that's the reality of what David is saying. David, right at this point, during, that, during the height of Absalom's rebellion, David felt all alone. So to trust in, in God as Jehovah, we are trusting in God as not only God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We trust in God for every spiritual, temporal, and eternal blessing. The only way to truly accept, to, to worship God acceptably is to have Jehovah God in view. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The Trinity is as doctrinally sound as you're going to get. To trust in the Lord, what are we trusting in the Lord? What does that verse mean? What are we trusting in God to do? We're trusting in the Lord for all the support we need in times of trouble. We're trusting in him for the deliverance from it. And we're trusting him for that final perfect redemption that's coming. The more affliction we go through, the greater trust we're supposed to have in God. David had this habit from his youth up. Folks, if, if, if 
we wait until we're aged to say, all right, my life is coming to an end. I'm going to start trusting in God now for my last 10 years. You're missing some of the most glorious blessings that God gives us. David was in the habit of all his life praising God, all the way from that young man who said, is there not a cause? And took up the stone and took down Goliath. It was teaching us about who God is, not how to be David. That story tells us who God is. David made God the object of his trust. When David said, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust? That's single. That's single. He doesn't say, in thee and my kingship and my, uh, my easy life, my riches, my children, my spouse, my family. He says, in thee, O Lord, that Lord is a reference to the Trinity. Okay? That's the reference to the entire Godhead. That's the entire Jehovah God, all-powerful God. That's what David is saying. That's where my trust is at. Single trust. This present distress of David was a demonstration of what he believed. And his distress, we're learning from today, about what it is to be in affliction and yet to be able to trust God in that affliction. Okay? So next week, what we're going to do is we're going to go literally in a verse by verse, and we're going to deal with a few verses every week with this today laying the very foundation of everywhere we're going. Okay? So this theology of hope is what this study will be about. So I trust this will be a great help to you. Um, we may not answer all these today, but these are just a couple things I want you to think about. And maybe it's something you talk about as a family this week. Um, I would encourage that. Um, sometimes I'm just going to have you do that. Of course, we can talk about this in the weeks to come. But just kind of an overview, like the first part, what's the purpose of the title lines in the Psalms? You know, like we, we talked a little bit about that. What's the significance of the absence of a title line in Psalm 71? You know, maybe talk about that. How does that apply to things? Uh, number two, what elements do Psalm 43 and Psalm 71 have in common? What I would say, if you're going to do this as a family study, I would just open your Bible up to Psalm 43, open your Bible up to Psalm 71, have someone read one Psalm and read the other, and just make a list of what's happening that's common in both of those Psalms. Okay, so just kind of think about it from that standpoint. And then third should really be easy. What three seasons of hope does Psalm 71 deal with? What, what seasons is uh, David talking about? Okay. Does anybody have anything they just can't wait to, not, to talk, or they can't wait to talk about? Or has a question of any sort? Or an observation? Those are good too. All right. All right, well, again, we'll go ahead and pray, and we'll plan on gathering for our worship service this morning. Uh, let's continue to pray for one another and uh, pray for the needs um, of our church and certainly the things that we're aware of. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this study this morning. And Lord, I thank you for this psalm in particular. And Lord, I thank you that you're using it uh, in a great way uh, to instruct your people. And Lord, I'm excited about seeing how we take this psalm and how you apply it to us and how we get a greater understanding of our assurance. We get a greater understanding of what hope is. And Lord, my heart has just been burdened by the hopelessness that seems to be all around us. And 
Uh, Lord, I'm certainly burdened by the hopelessness of an unsaved world, uh, but Father, I'm burdened by the hopelessness I see amongst God's people, and uh, we should be the most hopeful people there are uh, because of your faithfulness throughout all of our seasons of life. And I do pray that you'll take this study, and Lord, you will magnify uh, yourself through it, and that we would uh, certainly uh, be humble before you and allow your word uh, to speak unto us as the Spirit gives us wisdom and discernment. Uh, Lord, we do pray for those that are afflicted today with illness and various other ailments, and we certainly pray that you will raise them up quickly. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this time, and it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.